Today, we're talking about a new product on the market called Graspore, a product that might be able to help you find your optimal training zones, find which physiological systems are limiting performance and which are compensating, find how fast you recover after load, find your recovery state from previous workouts, and much, much more. Big promises, hey? And while this is somewhat of a product review, it turns out to really understand the benefits of the product, this episode is also a primer on muscle oxygenation and muscle activation and the technology behind it. In the near future, we'll discuss how to use this technology for training and performance. Yo-ho, and welcome back to Ride Better, Faster, a show about cycling, training, and racing. I'm Damien Roos. One of the first things you read when you load the Graspore website is Graspore is a muscle performance and cardio monitoring device that gives you the ability to track your muscle oxygen levels and muscle activation in real time. There's a certain amount of skepticism around any new wearables or monitors in the performance space. I mean, it's not like we haven't all been disappointed by hype or products that fail to realize their potential. So my first question is always, how is this product any different? I mean, it's from an unknown company, at least in this space. It uses technology that's brought down other products. But after some investigation, I can't say it's going to work or it's perfect. I simply don't know yet. But it does tick a lot of the right boxes. And I say this mainly because of the use of muscle oxygenation and how this training methodology has developed over the past eight years. But also the company has deep knowledge and expertise in the area of body monitoring. So let's begin there, starting with this guy. My name is uh, Jesper. I'm the commercial manager here at, uh, at Omotex. Omotex is the company behind Graspore. It's a Danish company based in Denmark's second largest city, Aarhus. And they got their start by making these. For here. If you didn't guess it, that's socks for space, or to be more precise, a smart sock system that measures astronauts' muscular activity during longer durations in space. This was back in 2009 when the European Space Agency, ESA, signed a contract with Omatex for these socks. After the success of this contract, ESA signed a contract for 1.04 million euros for the development of training tights with integrated sensors to help astronauts fix this problem. When you're getting into space, all your water or liquid in, in the body is moving upwards uh, to the head and the upper body. And, um, and that's it's setting it at a kind of a limit for how long time an astronaut can, can stay in the space. So what we tried to do was to develop some technologies that could help the astronauts and the people behind to understand how could they change the, the way they are training to get more of the water and the liquid down in the body again. And their thoughts on this were? We would give the astronauts and the people behind the insight directly from the body and what is happening into the body when they're training and after the training. They are still working about it. And in this summer 2021, we are going to the International Space Station and we are trying it up there. Right now, it's just in a theoretical basic uh, basic, uh, down-to-earth when they are working uh, in the same conditions like in space. So yeah, it's, uh, it's quite uh, exciting. As you can imagine, making the leap from helping astronauts to train effectively on the International Space Station to helping athletes train better here on Earth 
is not that far because the space tights use three garment integrated sensor technologies, two of which have made it into Graspore. EMG sensors to detect muscle activation and NIRS sensors to detect changes in oxygen content in selected muscle groups. And it's this combination, these two together, that are the main differentiator of the device. But these sensors are interesting in their own right. So let's take a look at the technology behind these sensors, starting with NIRS. NIRS, N-I-R-S, stands for Near Infrared Spectroscopy. And in this case, it measures muscle oxygenation. Muscle oxygenation refers to the flux of oxygen within a target tissue as a result of metabolic respiration. Another way to put it is it's a measurement of how much hemoglobin is carrying oxygen in the capillaries of the muscle expressed as a percentage from 0 to 100 and is often abbreviated as SMO2 as a percent versus arterial O2 saturation, which is SPO2. And just to clarify, this sensor is not like those finger clip things used in hospitals. Those are pulse oximeters and they're cheap and readily available. But outside of specific applications like using them in altitude hypoxia training, where it can be used to monitor and ensure SpO2 doesn't drop to risky levels, they don't give you any relevant information to direct training and would be impractical to use anyway. Back to near-infrared spectroscopy. As the name suggests, NIRS bounces near-infrared light into the tissue below the sensor and interprets the color of the returning light. If you were to hold a torch against your hand, this would be similar to how the light turns red as it shines through your translucent tissues. I don't want to go too deep here, but it's worth a quick explanation of how the sensor works. The optical signal from an LED is sensitive to the oxygen-carrying molecules under the sensor. Oxygen, the thing it's trying to measure, is primarily bound to proteins called hemoglobin within the blood and myoglobin within the muscle tissue. NIRS detects the combined volume of both, but it is often referred to simply as hemoglobin. Most NIRS sensors measure this volume of hemoglobin saturated with O2 called oxygenated hemoglobin. In simple terms, SMO2 is a balance between oxygen delivery and oxygen consumption in the muscles. You'll hear SMO2 a lot in this episode. To break it down, the S means saturation and the M means the measurement location. In this case, it's the muscle and the O2 is oxygen. Raspor use what they term as a sophisticated algorithm, which they developed in-house to report a relatively scaled measure of the total volume of hemoglobin. So just to be clear, Graspor, as with other consumer products in this space, calculates muscle oxygenation by an algorithm, thus making an indirect measurement. Most non-invasive measures are estimations, and any NIRS product must be validated against gold standards and compared to systems that have been validated to see if the data is close or interchangeable. I'm not aware that Graspore has done this yet. An algorithm like this can actually make or break a product. In the case of NIRS, it's all about the optical signal being able to get to the right place to measure muscle oxygenation. I was sure to ask Jesper about it, and he had a clear response to why Graspor has an advantage over other sensors. Is this something that your company has done in-house? Do they own that IP? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Actually, we own all the algorithms ourselves, and 
um, the most of our, our software um, development has been done in-house. We have done a little bit uh, external, but it's uh, it's more in the app. Um, so actually all the algorithm uh, is on our side. And also from the other companies, that is a little different from our uh, algorithms to, to the other because we have a lot more um, options in our algorithm. So we can, it's more easy for us to, to, to light into a, a fit person. And that's due to we are, for, for example, human, they were going nine millimeters into, into the muscle. And actually we are going just, um, just, uh, uh, 20 millimeters. I think it's nine, 90, 19, actually 19 millimeters. We're going that's the precisely uh, amount we're going into. So yeah, it's it's the double uh, amount we're going into the muscles. This is only scratching the surface of how NIRS works, but let's not harp on the technology any longer. Let's get to the benefits of what the technology tells us. There are some really sexy things being done in this space. And frankly, coaches and athletes should be very interested because the paradigm is shifting. Muscle oxygenation has independent value. It's not just another flavor of the week metric. The system can answer questions that most coaches would be foolish to guess at. But I will admit that it's not so user-friendly or the science is quite limited at the moment. So I'm not sure it serves us to go too deep down any of these rabbit holes. We can and will talk about muscle oxygen saturation as a metric and what it can tell us. When the rubber hits the road or when the rider pushes the pedal, physiologically speaking, working muscles are one limiting factor to performance. And we can measure this through this device. Simply put, not enough oxygen comes into the muscle at the work rate required to perform. Hence, the need to improve the efficiency or the ability to transport more oxygen. Our bodies naturally have adaptable organ systems that can accommodate stress by improving their function. But the final details are guesswork, unless you know the exact state of development. Products like Graspore leave no results to chance. It does this by giving real-time data on how effectively your muscles are using oxygen during a workout. And here's the thing, it's not that we don't know how the body works, we already have a good idea. It's that we don't know precisely how individuals, aka you, can improve when you're approaching your genetic ceiling. With products like Grassball, we can get information like localized responses to training at specific muscle groups, unlike heart rate, which is a systematic measurement. It can help you understand exactly when the body switches from aerobic to anaerobic during an interval and the exact pace and duration at which that interval is most effective. That's juicy. An easy way to think about measuring muscle oxygenation is that it's continuous, like a heart rate monitor, more anatomically specific than lactate testing, and more connected to mitochondrial changes than gas exchange testing. It's not that the other measurements aren't valuable. Science supports their inclusion. It's just that coaches and athletes need a useful way to know how muscles respond to training immediately and chronically. And even though the sensor sits on one muscle and one muscle doesn't represent an entire body, it does have some value to make choices that are actionable. Also, when it comes to cycling, the question becomes, how do I use this metric, SMO2, in my training? For starters, I want to be clear, you don't throw away your power meter. 
As an output metric, it's the perfect reference point for real-time monitoring and measuring of any changes over time. And to know if you're decoupling your watts from your oxygen level, you start with a test to work out your muscle oxygen zones, just as you would test to find your power zones. You have to get the right intensities to train at. There are specific zones that line up with your oxygen levels, and there is even a muscle oxygen threshold. With muscle oxygen training, the concept of a muscle oxygen threshold is a new addition to FTP and MAP that adds new information to your analysis. This is done with a ramp test, and once you have your FTP and muscle oxygen threshold, you can compare it to your watts and have like your zones into to watts, or you can try to do it to five or six muscle oxygen zones. And the difference from what zones and to these muscle oxygen zones is that, for example, your 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 what and you're going about threshold, and that will be a different from day to day. So, for example, for myself, I have a threshold about 280, and when I'm doing it in a Monday, you know, it's it's fine. But then I have a hard training Thursday, and then Wednesday I have it again, and then you know, it's it's very hard for me, and I and, and I still try to do 280. But if you if you want to have the maximum out of your training, you also know that if you're just keeping on, then your 280 bar threshold is not longer the threshold. It's more about the the view to max, for example, the lower. So when you're doing it from your muscle oxygen zones, it's always stabilized. So for example, I am doing my 280 um, in the muscle oxygen about 50% of oxygen. And then I'm always going, when I'm doing a threshold intervals, about 50% of my muscle oxygen. And then I'm when I am have a good day, I do my 280. In a bad day, I do 260. In a very good day, about 300. But what you have to understand is when you're doing from your oxygen zones, you always stress your muscle in the same way when you just keep this 50% stabilized. But what's also important to, to say right now is that the, the oxygen is is um, is very personalized. So for me, it's fifty percent, but maybe for you, Damien, it could be like sixty percent. It's it's about how your capillary system is is developed, how, how much capillary system you have around your muscles, but um, also how much on the fat skin you you have. And how stable is it as a measurement? You compared it to heart rate before. We all know heart rate can change depending on the inputs in your body or stress or whatever. How stable is muscle oxygenation? But I would say it's very stabilized. Um, right now we're trying to do a study to give all these cyclists uh, precisely percent of how stabilized it is. But for me right now, it's, it's very stabilized. When I'm doing my test, it's uh, four weeks in a row. It's, uh, it's exactly the same Um oxygen, but the, the watch is, is changing a little bit. And that's fine. That's what we want. And like I said at the beginning, we are going to get into a little bit more detail about how you can use muscle oxygenation in real time to guide interval training and pacing and a few other specific things in your cycling. But let's just stick with the technology for the moment, though. I mentioned earlier that this technology is already out there in the world. And research options include a brand called Portamon, and then when you start talking about consumer products, the most recognizable name to cyclists would be the Moxie Monitor. Started in 2010 and released in 2013, the 860 USD unit has been validated and integrates with existing products like Garmin devices through a Connect IQ app to display SMO2 in real time. 
There's no denying that they were first to the market and first to capture the attention of the serious tech training community. It's this community that have taken the metrics and run with them, coming up with use cases and education information to allow anyone to lose hours, days, even years into this world. And this isn't throwing shade at anyone involved in this, but there's a problem for anyone wanting to learn about this stuff and might be an explanation why it hasn't penetrated further into the cycling training world. It's not the technology, and putting cost aside, it's more likely an education issue because there is a steep learning curve for athletes and coaches. Grassball is now available in Europe and has launched with some coaching partners in Denmark to try and address this issue. This is a good move in my opinion, as there is a learning curve to maximize the effectiveness of the data collected and used in real time. Jesper is, was, a cyclist, so I asked him about his learning curve. So you're a cyclist, so you would have had a a learning curve getting to understand this stuff as well though. Yeah, exactly. I know at my time of cyclist, I've done a lot of FTP kind of tests where, you know, you are... you're calculating this uh, factor into uh, your results and you have, yeah, like your threshold and then you're calculating some news, little new um, factors into it. So you're getting like five or six training zones. But uh, what, what you need to understand is that people are different. And if you are taking like this kind of a test methods into a sprinter, for example, or then afterwards a time trialist, um, the result will be very different. And they won't give Ella won't have the the perfect result out from this these training zones. So they're stressed uh, in a in a in a not so good way when they're doing the when they're doing this kind of test. So to help with learning your individual results, you get one performance test and three months of training guidance, plus both the grass ball unit and the sleeve for twelve hundred and twenty USD. This isn't a sales pitch I'm mentioning this as a comparison to what's already out there. So you can get a Moxie for 400 USD less. We won't mention the difference in placement options just yet, but what does that extra 400 buy you with Grasper? A second integrated sensor. An EMG sensor to measure muscle activation. Electromyography or EMG has a long history as does measuring electrical current in the muscle. Starting in the late 1700s, it became apparent that an electrical current was required to perform a muscular contraction. Most people credit Etienne Marie with coining the term around 1876. EMG technology has been around for a number of decades. However, recently, it's made its way into the everyday health and rehabilitation market, and EMG analysis uses small electrodes, sensors, that are placed on the target muscles being evaluated in order to pick up electrical signals that are emitted from the muscles during contractions. In other words, EMG records the movement of muscles. It's based on the simple fact that whenever a muscle contracts, a burst of electric activity is generated which propagates through adjacent tissue and bone and can be recorded from neighbouring skin areas. In the case of devices like Graspor, it gives real-time feedback on muscle activation and helps with the processes of refining pedaling techniques. I will say straight up that from my research, EMG is lower down the order of metrics compared to muscle oxygenation. Most of the arguments in support of EMG cite the ability to get more information than the naked eye can reveal. Another benefit is that the information is objective so that everyone can agree on it and decide on an intervention. 
Dysfunctional muscles are not just a weakness or a size issue. There's often less obvious factors that can't be left to guesswork. It is a very powerful solution for greater understanding of how muscles activate during specific movements. But for cycling, it only offers small insights for technique correction, imbalances, and overuse when fatiguing. Here are two examples brought up by Jesper. Yeah, and then I also have my, my muscle activation where I'm, I always do my calibration from home because I'm putting some water too, so I have this water scurrying from, from the start. So just I don't need to, to do my warm-up and have the sweat. And then I know, for example, always when I'm starting, I'm, I'm doing like 150 watts. If I could see one day, right now I am in 20% of activation of my quadriceps, so I'm used to be at, for example, 10. Okay, my, my muscle is very fatigued, and it's not a good thing for me today to stress it anymore. More work is needed here, though, because all use cases for EMG and cycling are not fully understood. To get you thinking about what's possible, the Graspo records activity of two muscle groups, the quadriceps and the hamstrings. A garment-based EMG can provide general awareness and simple feedback. The first three measurements Graspo measures are muscle activation in these two muscle groups and a ratio of the two. How does this benefit you in real time and over time? Jesper has their initial application as... You know, there's a, it's a short-term use and then there's a long-term use because it, the short-term use is, for example, for fatigue on, a, on your ride and on the day. So, for example, if you're doing like a five-hour ride and you see that, for example, you're going with 10% activation from your quadriceps and 20% from your, your hamstring, maybe in the end of the fifth hour, you'll see you are going with... 20% of the quadriceps instead of, in, yeah, instead of 10, and maybe for 30 instead of 20 on your, on your hamstring. And then you can use it to see, okay, I, I have some fatigue in the muscles right now, which is giving you your option. For example, if that's some big changes you will you'll see, yeah, maybe it's a good idea with, for example, some strength training or something like that. Um, that can increase your potential from, from your brain. Um, and, and how, how good you are to send bigger amount of frequency from your brain to muscles. And that's basically what you're doing when you're doing strength training. And then there is the, the long term, and that is, for example, to see some injuries, potential injuries. And um, that could be if you, for example, is used to see a rate to about 40 to 60%, and you over a month with the same kind of watts. And that's why what is still a good reference to to see this data up to. And you could see that it's maybe going to 20 to 80% different. And we know from cyclists that if your um, activation on your hamstring is increasing over time, it's probably uh, combined with a ACL injury, which is, you know, uh, a pain in your front of your knee. And that is uh, something you can see away before you can feel it. So you actually got the option to to say, okay, now I, I have to to slow a little bit down with my training for, for the next period because I can see I'm, I'm very stressed and yeah, I have a big amount of fatigue um, in my muscles. So now that we've had a look at EMG, how does the extra 400 USD stack up? Let's make a comparison to products that are already on the market providing standalone EMG units. There are, of course, the serious EMG sensors for medical and research, 
So Maxis and Muscle Lab are two options here. But if you were to make a fair comparison, we can talk about two brands in the consumer space. That's the M-Body Shorts by Myotech and the 2.0 Shorts from Athos. And besides price, there's a couple of differences in form factor compared to Graspor. All these products have the EMG unit. Of course, Grasper has the NIRS sensor in there, but they are all the same size, about 60 by 40 by 15 millimeters, with a quoted battery life of approximately eight hours on full charge for the Graspor and around 30 hours for the M-Cell in the M-Body shorts. It's how they are worn where the main difference comes into it. Graspor is a sleeve from a stretchy textile. It slips onto one thigh and hides under your nicks. On the outside of the sleeve is a layer of laminate to ensure complete darkness around the muscle oxygen sensor. And speaking of the muscle oxygen sensor, once the sleeve's on, it puts the sensor on the best muscle and the best place for runners and cyclists to measure muscle oxygenation, the vastus lateralis, outer thigh muscle. This places it on a large working muscle that is producing the most work for pedaling. It also places it on the belly of the muscle. It's important to put it on the belly of the muscle because it has the fewest tendons. It minimizes interferences with joint movement and the muscle changes shape less at the belly when the muscle flexes, so it's easier to keep the sensor in contact with the skin. And placement in the same spot every time is important because even muscles that are close to each other, such as the rectus femoris and the vastus lateralis, can have different values. And even baseline values may differ at nearby locations of the same muscle group. On the inside of the muscle are two textrodes. If you don't know what textrodes are, I didn't. They are textile electrodes and they are in the garment and used in this case for muscle activation measurement from the two muscle groups. And it's these textrodes that differentiate the M-body and the Athos shorts from Grasper. First up, I can see why Grasper opted for a sleeve and the ability to swap out different nicks and shorts or pants or whatever has its benefits. And the shorts from other brands are basically compression shorts, but there is one key difference. The textrodes are embedded into the shorts and they cover an entire area of the shorts so they track muscle groups while the Grasper is limited to the quadriceps. The M-Body has six EMG biosignal channels, three on the left side and three on the right side that track the quadriceps group, the hamstrings group, and the Athos has eight EMG sensors, four on the left side, four on the right side that tracks the inner quad, outer quad, hamstrings, and glutes. And they both also have upper body equivalents. In the case of the M-Body Shorts 3 and the M-Cell 3 unit, you pay for this privilege at 1140 USD for the full kit, where the Athos 2.0 Shorts are just under 400 USD difference at $348. So my only complaint with Graspor compared to these other options is that I wish it recorded activity in the gluteal muscles, the prime mover of the hip joint during cycling. Wrapping up the technology part here, the only other component we haven't spoken about is software. How to actually read the data. And most solutions have an app, as does Graspor. Or there are more serious online and coaching options. I will say I prefer how Moxie integrate into an existing system like Garmin and allows the metrics to show up as a data field on a bike computer that you can access through their Connect IQ apps. Right now, Graspor are using Android and Apple iOS apps, and all their marketing material has the riders mounting their phones on the stems while still having their bike computer on the bike. 
Mounting a phone on your bike is okay for indoors, but it's really not an option for long-term or all-year use. Because, uh, I don't know, I have a bit of a hesitation about riding with my phone. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I truly understand you. But to understand what we, what we tried to do was, that first we was, the first thing we want was to succeed. We want to, to make the best high-quality data from EMG and NIRS available in a commercial way. So that was the first goal for us, and then we succeeded with. But so right now we, we was with this very precisely data. And then we was developed our app. And when is we still only on our app? So it's not available to have these data blurring into, for example, training peaks or Strava or directed to a Garmin. So you have to use it right now with your app. And the reason why we wanted to do that was we know it was a very new product which could be a complex for a normal user. And our thought was that if we could visualizing this for a, for a user in a graph, how it was changing, it, it could be a much more easy way for, for the user to understand. But since we got to the market, we also got, the, got a lot of feedback that it, it is not such a useful way to use when you're on the road. Because on a turbo trainer, a home trainer, it's, it's, it's a very good product and it's, it's very useful. But still, the most of the, the cyclist is going to, to the road from, yeah, also in the winter, actually in the Denmark, uh, especially where we are from. Um, but yeah, right now we are working very hard to, to get our data into Training Peaks, Strava, and Wahoo, and, and Garmin. So, so yeah, two head units for now. And the 1st of April, it's our goal to be at Garmin and Wahoo. But as you say, it's also, it could be a very complex product. So we have both the total hemoglobin, where is the blood flow to the muscle, what could be detected if you're uh, properly warmed up. And we have the, the oxygenated hemoglobin, the deoxygenated hemoglobin. We have the... Um, how much you're contracting your quadriceps and hamstring. But what we found out was that if we only use the one measurement, yeah, our muscle oxygen, it's actually with just the muscle oxygen, you have all you need to, to train much more precisely than, than you have the opportunities to do right now. This makes sense. And before I move into my final comment on the future direction of the tech in this space, I will say from the outside, what Graspore has done so far is make muscle oxygen monitoring more approachable and somewhat sexier. While the Moxie has been quietly ticking away since launch, gathering knowledge and performance nerves, Graspore is in the position to bring these ideas to more people in a sleek application of the technology without the overwhelm from the Moxie world. And finally, the not-too-distant future. I recently mentioned the unreleased Impulse Nix, which I saw that they do come in a bib short version, which must be using a similar EMG setup to record muscle activity, and then another layer of innovation by zapping to correct any underutilization of muscles, which I can hopefully get a better understanding of as more details emerge. As I said in the segment on those shorts, being a more hands-off solution will help the uptake and potentially stop human error in getting in the way of any real performance gains. 
So an interesting space to watch as EMG has not taken off yet in mainstream cycling training as far as I can tell. That's it for this episode. Tune in next time when we go over the training options and how to actually use muscle oxygenation for performance benefits. Ride Better Faster is written, hosted, and scored by me, Damien Roos. You can check out our membership program, SemiPro Plus, where you save time and expand your coaching knowledge with the latest and best scientific research and analysis every month. Head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash plus to learn more. Until next time, ride well. Mm-hmm.